Hey, Miss District Attorney, you really prosecuted the crap out of that one. I went with the crap I had, Detective. Oh, you think that was a Hummer bust, huh? You saying I queered that guy's tire? I'd say race it some loquitur if I thought you knew what it meant. Hey! Ipsa this, you pissy little bitch! This has got to stop, Andy. What's got to stop? This. You're getting stiff every afternoon now. Hey, look. I don't recall requesting any career counseling session from you. When was the last time you tried going on the wagon? When's the last time you tried growing tits? Radio Drome. You tuned the channel to Jackalope Radio to listen to Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil T. Robot, who, by the way, the listeners have kind of adopted that name for you. They're calling you Cecil T. Robot now. I, I've noticed that, and uh, I, I fully endorse that as well. It, uh, it, I think it, it, it works. Oh, and chuckling back there is. Peter, the cinemasochist. I don't know why I went like stereotypical French assassin there, but whatever. Well, he is in Canada, and they speak French up there, so. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Do you know why you're going to take it? Because you're doing the Adam and Eve promo. Again? Yeah, Cecil had to do it a bunch of times. He cheated by writing it down and just reading it like a little... <laughs> All right, well, speaking, uh, speaking of taking it in the ass, you could go to Adam and Eve for your butt plug pleasures, and by using the promo code DROME, you'll get 10 free gifts on top of whatever you order. That's six free DVDs, a free mystery gift, a gift for him, a gift for her, and free U.S. shipping. You get all of that if you use the promo code DROME on adamandeve.com. I can't use it. I'm Canadian. Make me jealous. Get your butt toys on adamandeve.com. Are you technically Canadian, or are you a Serbian that just lives in Canada? I am a Canadian citizen, but I was born in uh, Serbia. Well, we're not talking about that tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about television and just how much it's changed. What actually prompted me to want to talk about this is in a really early Peter episode, we talked about whether the X-Files should make a comeback. Well, now we've got some details on it. And it's a little more disappointing and telling about just how much television has changed. The reason Fox is bringing the X-Files back is not because they want to finish out the story. Not because they think these characters still have a place to go, because of Netflix. Let me explain this. 24 was essentially a dead franchise. Nobody was wanting it. Netflix wasn't even interested in it until they did that Live Another Day or whatever it was, that miniseries. All of a sudden, Netflix is getting requests for 24, and they paid through the nose to get it. Fox realized how to generate old shows into Netflix revenue is to have a new miniseries. The same reason that NBC just this week announced Coach is coming back and that right now, imagine that, they're trying to sell Coach, re, the old Coach reruns to Netflix. X-Files hmm. is currently being offered to Netflix. They're only bringing these shows back to renew interest in the old stuff. That, hmm. I think, right there is a telling example of just how much television has changed, isn't it? Well, it's just a uh, a telling tale of uh, how much TV is getting their ass handed to them by uh, streaming services and by cable. 
Uh, they just they can't figure out how to compete. They're they're not giving shows a chance to grow. They're not really giving shows as much leeway. I know you're not a fan, but like The Walking Dead, you can't deny that that show really pushes the envelope far beyond like what's something that Fox or NBC would even dare to try. So rather than them figure out a uh, a, uh, a new show to put out there that maybe they can give it time to grow and become successful and become the next X-Files or the next whatever, they keep going back into the well of, well, let's bring this back and see if we can use this, you know, use Netflix to push it and then turn that around into revenue for us. It's it's just it's dumb and it's not very forward thinking. And as excited as I am about the possibility of a good X-Files coming back, I think this whole thing is going to end up biting them in the ass once again. I'm definitely disappointed that it's uh, looking to be a fairly cheap cash in for Netflix just to kind of buck off the old the old episodes by introducing us to a, a couple of uh, obviously quickly put out new ones. I was hoping there would be some effort put into it. I was looking forward to seeing some uh, new Mulder and Scully adventures, but yeah, it, it sounds like um, they're they're just not really. Uh, they, they don't believe in themselves enough, so they're trying to bank off of Netflix and just just keep making money off the old episodes. There's some really great TV out there, and I think X-Files could have gotten that treatment, or at least a, a similar show like it could have, but no, instead it's it's just it's a cheap cash-in, which uh, is definitely unfortunate because there's some great TV out there nowadays. Well, is this sort of like Netflix becoming the place to go, both for old episodes and original series, such as the Daredevil series or Orange is the New Black or things like that? Mm. Is this kind of an inverse of what the syndication model was in the late 70s and early 80s? Or is this, rather than being the inverse of that, is this a growth of that? The syndication model, syndication used to be just old reruns, that they would just run old stuff and sell that into syndication, which you had to have a certain number of episodes. With The magic number used to be 100. Kind of like the way they're using the X-Files to the, current, the new one that they're bringing out and Coach and 24 and that to renew interest in the old stuff. What they would do is shows that maybe had four or five seasons didn't quite have enough episodes to hit the 100 episodes for syndication. So they would actually keep them on the air while losing money for in the short term, so they could get the syndication numbers and put them out later. That's what happened with 21 Jump Street. Fox canceled it after four seasons. They only had 88 mm. episodes. So one new, we'll do one more season that nobody wants, so then we have 104 episodes, and we've got enough to syndicate it, and that's where the real money is. I, was, I worked at an ABC station, and I was told point blank by the station manager, only reason, according to Jim, was on the air for the last two seasons was to get enough episodes to hit syndication numbers. So is Netflix a natural growth of that mindset, or is it sort of the inverse of that mindset? I don't know, because um, you can find a lot of really great stuff on there. I mean, it's great to to even go back and watch older shows and, and to, to binge watch a bunch of stuff. Like, uh, I managed to get caught up with uh, stuff like Breaking Bad uh, using Netflix. Um, I was watching that new show, uh, True Detective, on there for, for a little bit uh, just to, to finish it up and also get caught up. So I think it's great for that. I think it's it's a really great tool to use for not only catching up on new shows, but going back and watching 
all your old uh, favorite shows and favorite episodes. But it does it does kind of sound like it has that um, that sort of mindset to it too. That whole syndication thing, uh, which given given what Netflix is, it's not bad. It's not something I use too much, but I, I think it's. It's all right, and for what it is, I, I think it's it's a fairly effective way to market shows. I think it's really cool that they're using it to market that new Daredevil show, which actually does look fairly impressive, and I'm and I'm looking forward to checking that out. So I I have to thank Net, uh, thank Netflix for introducing that and and giving me something something new to check out. In a way, I guess so, because uh, it's this way they're they're kind of bringing life to it. In a, in a more broader sense, I, I guess they're just looking at it as the potential for a new revenue stream because they'll put out, you know, these episodes drum up interest and that will drum up the price of which, you know, they'll be able to sell it through to Netflix. So I guess kind of depending on how well these go over is whether or not this is going to be something that they'll continue to do. It might end up there's there's only so many things that they can really bring back. Do you think that, because let's go back to how syndication changed TV so people can really understand how Netflix is kind of doing the same thing as much as I might not like it. TV was, you had the th- your, th- your three channels, not counting PBS, because who the hell ever watched PBS for anything except Doctor Who reruns. You, you had the three networks, and then you had little independent stations. The independent stations tended to be where you saw old movies and where these reruns were, where they were reruns of the old shows that were no longer on the networks. Then in the late 70s, there was one show that just broke this open. This had existed before Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. But Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman was the first major show that said, we're not going to be on a network. We are going to sell the show directly to each and every TV station. And this is what became first-run syndication, brand new material to the independents. So in a way, they created a whole bunch of ad hoc little networks that all of the independent TV stations, which would later become UPN affiliates or CW affiliates or WB or My Network affiliates, all of a sudden they had original programming. You had Tales from the Dark Side in 1983 beating the networks in the ratings. These little TV stations didn't know what to do. The ratings were so huge. And then in 1987, the entire game changed. And that was when Star Trek The Next Generation hit the market. No network wanted it. you got to remember, Fox just barely exists at this point. They're, they're only on the air for a couple of months. None of the majors want Star Trek, but Paramount still wanted to do it. So Paramount pushed Star Trek, and they had a really in- inventive deal. We are going to give you Star Trek The Next Generation. Of the 12 minutes of advertising that's in every Star Trek episode, you got five minutes of that that you can sell for locals. The rest of it are for our national products that we're selling. And this was huge. Star Trek The Next Generation changed the game. That was the first time the three big boys really had competition. Do you think that like the, the Daredevil series or Orange is the New Black is kind of doing the same thing Star Trek The Next Generation did back in 87. They're just doing it arguably on a larger scale. Well, looking at it that way, yeah, because you've got these shows that are being brought out by sort of one of the one of the smaller uh, organizations that are putting these shows out. And now they're instead of just streaming other people's shows and reruns and other you know TV shows for AMC or HBO or whatever. They're actually making their own 
original exclusive Netflix shows and they're doing amazingly. Like I haven't watched much Orange is the New Black, but like everybody I, I know pretty much talks about it and, and raves on about how great it is. So and, and Daredevil, I mean, people, including myself, are just you know, shit raving about how awesome it looks. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to watching it. So yeah, I mean, I can see that. I can see it as a, as you know, sort of a, a smaller, a smaller company putting out something and, and people are really taking to it. And yeah, it's, it's giving a, it's definitely giving a run for its money for the other, other bigger, you know, bigger companies that are putting shows out because uh, the, the popularity is just, it's immense with uh, the shows that are, or that are being created by Netflix exclusively. How syndication sort of threatened the big boys. Now, cable kind of came in the same way. See, so I'm sure you'll remember in the early 80s how cable shows, HBO originals and things like that, and, you know, you had the early sci-fi channel TV shows and whatnot. They were all very low budget, arguably would have been first-run syndication if they had not been picked up exclusively by a network. That really has changed, hasn't it? Cable is now where people are going. And, the net, and they're leaving mm-hmm. the networks behind, yet the networks are still pouring more and more money into their shows. Are, are the networks kind of just living off of a dying model at this point? Or do they somehow think they can still beat cable and now Netflix, which is now threatening cable? Do they think they can actually compete still? Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, they, they're the dinosaurs of this whole thing. Like They've been around for so long. And they've just amassed so much money that they can afford to really dump it into a new show. You know, all right, we're going to have this this new show and it's it's going to have all these stars and it's it's going to be really expensive and they're going to promote the hell out of it and then cancel it after like six episodes. And <laughs> it, it's just it's stupid because then they blow all this money on these things and they're, they're like, you know, they, they panic. And and they just get you know give shows the boot before they really have a chance to to you know find their audience. They are really the dying market. I mean they they're succeeding now because uh, like I said they they've got so much money to fall back on because they're, they're so entrenched a- at this point it's hard to they're dug in like a tick. Yeah. Right, and the thing is too there are a lot of older people who will watch nothing like even though they'll have cable. They'll still just watch like three, six, and ten, and Fox, or actually no, not three. Well, it's three, six, and ten here. Uh, it, it, ABC, in my market, NBC. it's two. In my market, it's two, five, and eleven. Okay, well, yeah. Um, right after I said that, I'm like, no, that doesn't work for people in the rest of the country. They'll they'll watch what you know the shows that are on them, but not really venture too far out. I mean, occasionally maybe they'll they'll go out to the BBC for like Downton Abbey and stuff. Usually they don't really go into a lot of the uh, the other cable market. And I think that's what's keeping a lot of those show uh, those networks afloat is that they do still have a uh, a large audience of just older people. But eventually. When those older people move on, you're going to have the next generation of people that have been, you know, grew up watching cable, that grew up with cable, are going to be watching that more often, and it's just really going to take an even bigger hit on the major networks because they don't understand how to compete aside from throwing money at something. They learned that in the early 2000s during the writer's strike of like 2007, I think it was. During that writer's strike, they couldn't produce new episodes. So CBS and NBC, and I, I think that their logic was sound, but I think this proves just how much, ca- how different cable is than, than network. 
NBC is owned by Universal, which also owns the which also owns Sci-Fi Channel. During the writer strike, what they said is Battlestar Galactica is just killing it on Sci-Fi Channel. So what we'll do is we'll bring Battlestar Galactica onto NBC and we'll air it in prime time and it'll kill there. Guess what happened? The ratings were horrendous. The ratings were not even a fraction of what they were on Sci-Fi, even though they had a, a larger broadcast base more advertising, and more potential eyes. So then Battlestar went back to Sci-Fi Channel, and the ratings went back up. And they did the same thing with, although when they brought Dexter to, to CBS, you had to censor it so much. It was like, why, why bother? But mm. they learned that cable shows don't work on a network and vice versa. For instance, do either of you remember the Ray Liotta series Smith from 2006? Oh, no. Hell yeah. That was made for Showtime which is Viacom owns CBS and owns Showtime. That was made for Showtime. But CBS is like, this is so good, we can air it on a network. So they brought it over to CBS, and they didn't have to censor it that much. And it tanked so hard, they canceled it after three episodes. And you have to wonder, if they had let Smith actually air on Showtime, that might be in its sixth or seventh season now. But because CBS said, no, 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 this will work on CBS... Because when you watch that, Cecil, since Peter, you didn't see it, but Cecil, you did, that totally felt like a cable show, didn't it? It felt like a cable show. Hell, it felt like a movie. I, I was in love with that. I was like, wow, this is exactly what major networks should do. I thought that this was actually reacting smart. Does it disappoint you a little towards... to find out it was made for Showtime? Not so much, because it's like it showed that they took a chance, but then they freaking panicked, and they canceled it after three episodes. I mean, God only knows how much money they probably spent acquiring it, and then they put it on, and they don't even run it for, like, the full, what was it, it was, it was originally supposed to be nine, nine it was, episodes? It was supposed to be a 12, and they shot nine 12. of them. I've got all nine of them. I've got copies of all nine. Mm-hmm. It's so annoying, because... Have you like, seen the unaired? What is it? They're great! Uh, I ha- I know. I, I haven't seen them yet. I only saw the you know the ones that aired. Would it have killed them to let it play out? Yeah, I, it's it's just absurd. Why would you Why would you spend the money to acquire something if you're not gonna see it all? I mean, because the ratings were 12, awful. The ratings were terrible for the three yeah, episodes but you know that what? aired. The ratings were terrible for Seinfeld. The ratings were terrible for the X Files. The ratings were terrible for Saint Elsewhere. There were so many shows that had terrible ratings, sometimes for a couple of seasons. And it yeah. took the uh, it took the network to actually have faith that this was going to catch on. And you know, in the case of those shows, they all did, and they've gone on to become hugely successful. And then they've made money off of the syndication rights. And now, in the case of something like uh, freaking uh, X Files, there it was so successful, they're now bringing it back after it was canceled years ago. So mm-hmm. they they just they don't see the future in these things. It's it's just it's absurd all, it's, to them. It's all a short term game. I'd say it's how they do it uh, because. At least examples of, of nowadays, they, they just don't seem to be uh, gutsy enough, uh, as uh, Cecil was was talking about, where they don't they don't let the show actually play out, they don't let it catch on, they don't let it garner an audience, because because that that's obviously how they used to do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, X Files had had seasons that tanked horribly. X Files was actually canceled after the first season and then brought yeah. back due to a letter writing campaign. So mm-hmm. the X Files actually so did get officially canceled after season yeah. one. 
exactly. You you never know who's watching your show if you just take it off the air like that. Yeah, I mean, it took it took people that enjoyed it to write to the to the. It took people writing to them for them to to bring it back up and to keep it going, and and that's what what they should do. Even if they should be confident in the the products that they're producing and the shows that they're putting out there. Um, with as it pertains to shows like uh, Dexter, um, Dexter is is it's originally a cable show, right? Not not uh, Showtime. Um, the reason why that is, that doesn't really work on a network is because you do have to butcher it. You have to censor it horribly. So the the audience that's into Dexter. For one, they're going to go there watching it, expecting it to be super violent and super exploitive. And if it's not, they're not going to keep watching it. It's not going to do well on that network if you completely censor the shit out of it. So that's why I think it's it, it really belongs to more of a, you know, like a channel like Showtime or uh, shows that are exclusive to a- HBO or, or certain things like like you wouldn't be able to to just put on um, uh, True Detective onto a network and censor it and expect people to actually enjoy it. It'll, it'll be butchered, like watching, uh, you know, like like watching an R-rated movie that's censored on TV in the in the 90s on like um, on on Superstation or whatever, like the like the extremely cut to shit Die Hard 2. So yeah, I think there is a difference, and I think it's how they're doing it. It's it's not uh, it, it's them not showing enough confidence in their shows, not keeping things running long enough. And there's definitely a difference between a show that's made for cable and a show that's made for network because when it comes to one and the other, one is willing to show it 100% uncut, what it's supposed to be in its purest form, and the other will censor it because just because because they're not uh, they're not gutsy enough, and because obviously they're they're trying to have an all ages audience rather than the other stuff like Showtime that are showing very adult oriented stuff because they want to make make adult-oriented stuff. That's what they want to do. But at the same time, sometimes you get a little too nuts with cable. For instance, I've only seen the first three seasons of American Horror Story, and I hate that show. One Mm. of the reasons is it's gratuitous for the sake of gratuitous. They seem to have the mindset, we can get away with showing all this, so let's show it. Let's show all of the rapes and all of the blood and all of the (laughs) puking and all of the births and all this. We can, so let's do it. I have not seen a single American Horror Story episode where the graphicness was required to get to move the story along or to move the atmosphere. It was all just Mm. graphic for the sake of graphic. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, noticed that. That, that that abuses the freedom of cable, I think, just to be yeah, graphic for the sake of graphic. The interesting part about that is the whole the fact that uh, and TV has definitely changed in in terms of being able to do a lot more. And I think that's kind of cool because it, it opens up ground for making shows that they wanted to make really well back in the day but weren't able to do because of ratings restrictions shows that come out that are that are just really great um like like the killing like true detective like having these great cop drama shows that are allowed to be as violent as something like say you know like silence of the lambs or seven like for them to make a sort of tv show version of something like that and have it to be really great and really watchable but then you have the other side of the spectrum, as you were saying, like American Horror Story, where it is, it absolutely is just gratuitous for the sake of it, for the sake of being as violent as they can, pushing what I'm, what I'm just going to call an invisible envelope. There's no envelope to push, yet they're pushing anyway, trying to see what they can get away with, yet they can get away with anything. It doesn't matter. You you have this adult rating system that's uh, that you can do your show on. Uh, so why be this over the top? You know, there, there's no 
to me, there's there's no shame in in subtlety and in building something up, which is why I find shows like American Horror Story and, and Game of Thrones to just be f***ing dull because you're you're just every episode is just them trying to be as as violent, as nudity ridden, as vulgar as absolutely pos- uh, possible. And it gets to a point where it's just it gets really boring, at least for me. I do I do see where you're coming from on on that on that side of it, where there are shows that it just gets annoying. But at the same time, it's it's a good thing because it, it means that even if we do get some shitty shows here and there, we get some really good ones because the people in charge of making them it's it's sky's the limit. They can make whatever they want. They can go with their creative vision, and some really fantastic shows have been made from that. Should cable be as graphic as it is just because, or should there be a reason? Well, there should always be a reason. I mean, uh, if you've ever watched American Horror Story, there is no reason. L- let's have the fat black chick anal sex with the Minotaur because we can. <laughs> well, to in in the case of American Horror Story, I I haven't watched it. I know uh, a bunch of people who do, and they seem to really enjoy that. So I, I guess in a way, I mean, the show's on what? Like it's fourth or fifth season now? I've not seen anything graphic in that show that needed to be as graphic. And I love mm. exploitation as much as everybody. But yeah, there needs to same. be a point to the exploitation. Not we can, so we did. This This is just a case of, you know... A bunch of probably disenfranchised people that were watching network television, and there were shows that weren't pushing the envelope. And now this show, even though there isn't really an envelope per se to push, they're hitting all these hot buttons, and they're making a show that is essentially exploitation. It's really feeding into that need that they, they oh my god, I can't believe they had a, a, a black chick having anal sex with a minotaur. Or, I, I'm not or, so sure it's a, I'm not sure, so sure it's a need because like Sons of Anarchy became the hey, you guys like male on male rape? Well, every episode you're gonna see one of our main characters get <laughs> boinked by another dude because that's what you want to see. Like the last two seasons of Sons of Anarchy, I was like, this is just they're showing so much rape. It's, it's almost like the creator's working out some sort of internal beef he's got with himself because Oz, a prison show with all male characters, had less rape in it than Sons of Anarchy did on FX. And that show had a lot of rape. Yes, it did. That envelope has changed in the wrong direction, I think, when you go to the network. And I think that's part of why cable is moving in on them. Millennium. Pilot of Millennium in 1996. That thing is as graphic as Seven almost. You go back and look at All in the Family reruns from 1971 starting. You cannot get away with that language on networks today. I know people that work on some network shows. You cannot say the things Archie Bunker said in 1971 in 2015. That's moving (laughs) in the wrong direction, isn't it? Well, language is is a tough one because... Like you can in the U.S. and the South Park movie lampooned it perfectly was you know you uh, you know deplorable violence is okay you just can't say any naughty words so they could really show all kinds of graphic violence and whatnot but then a lot of times they'll they'll say you know oh this is uh, this this is too naughty you know we can't you know we can't use this word or whatnot or something really dumb. I was talking with a friend of mine about uh, the, the Walking Dead a few uh, weeks ago, and there was uh, a character in the show that turned out to be gay. And there were parents that were protesting the show. 
Which I want to also God. point out, in that show, that wasn't the first gay character they've encountered. It was just the first ones they saw kiss. It was all right, about was the a, gay kiss, not about, the, all gay about the gay characters. Kiss. And their their argument was, this was a show that I used to watch with my children, but I can't what? watch it with my kid and kids anymore. And I'm like, okay, so... So people brutally murdering each other is okay, but two men who happen to be in love and and are 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 like showing a sign of affection that they're oh you know that the one has survived that that's where you draw the line. And Walking Dead is that's really ridiculous because that's that's a zombie show that has violence that like that tops any given Fulci zombie film. And yet people are getting upset. It's just, it's ridiculous that they're getting upset over a gay character. That's, that really annoys me about, about the way a lot of like American television shows are, are marketed. Like that's, and that's, that's that really I- shows a sign of messed up the, the family unit is too. Like the, to be able to, to say that you watch a show with your kids where people get actively eviscerated in like every episode, but you can't, uh, you, you just can't let your uh, gay relationships, like it's stupid but th- that also is like one of the flashpoints when it came to when syndication was trying its takeover friday the 13th the series and freddy's nightmares friday the 13th the series came out in 1987 freddy's nightmares mm. in 1988 both of these were advertised and sold to the networks to the independent tv stations as adult late night series because of mm. how violent they were and how much side boob and under boob there was in Freddy's Nightmares. That show had a yeah. lot of lot of just covering the nipple nudity. These were sold as late night shows. Because of first run syndication, you can air them whenever you want on your station. They aired them in prime time and brought the ire of like the, the parents television council and is TV too violent? Has it gone too far? All, all that kind of stuff does is gives the enemies of this stuff more ammunition, really. Because people that were already saying TV is too violent, then they see Freddy's Nightmares on at 7 p.m. in their market, and that just gives them the ammunition they needed to go, look, look how graphic this is, look how sexual this is, is this where TV's going? And then, of course, 1991 happened, and NYPD NYPD Blue premiered. Cecil, you want to talk about language. Do either of (laughs) you remember the fire that that show started when it aired? I just remember it being a, a big deal, and then uh, I know South Park lampooned it with the uh, the episode. It, what was the? Didn't they do a thing where it was like they did play it up, where it's like the first network television show that will say ass or something? No, it, it was it was it was ad, no, it was advertised as an R-rated show on network television. I, I'm, I'm saying this. It's a little bit tame by today's standards, but go back and watch just the pilot of NYPD Blue. And you'll you'll ask yourself, I don't know how this aired on network T- on ABC owned by Disney <laughs> in 1991. I don't know how this aired. It is very graphic. The rest of 1991. This is showing of how just puritanical things are getting. Satellite radio that is supposed to be the last bastion of hey, you can't say this on regular radio but you can say it on satellite radio. They've now instituted restrictions over there on the content mm. that you can say. Like, even on, like, their edgy channels. They're like, well, you, you know, here's topics that you can't talk about. Here's uh, groups that you can't make fun of. It, it, it's just ridiculous that it's gotten to that point. It's like 
there's this weird enroachment of freedom of speech where even on something like satellite radio or on cable network where there's a paywall where you have to actually give, you know, okay, this is content that I want. I am going to pay you to watch this. And then you, you know, people will pay that and then see something that they're offended by or hear something that they're offended by. And instead of just, you know, changing the channel or doing something else, they'll do a letter writing campaign and have it uh, take, you know, and have it taken off the air for, for what? Like, it's, it's just, it's really annoying. One of the, one of the biggest changes though, is the ratings. It, it's funny. I was reading Harlan Ellison's The Glass Teat and The Other Glass Teat, which are a bunch of his columns from that, that he wrote for the newspaper back in the 60s. And I looked at various ratings things for like All in the Family and Name of the Game and even Star Trek and that. And then I looked at the highest rated show on network TV today, NCIS. It averages a rating of 11 million viewers per episode. Do you realize that back in the 60s and 70s, 11 million viewers was nobody's watching cancel this show kind of numbers like all in the family was getting 37 to 42 million viewers a week there were shows that got 13 to 14 million that were canceled for low ratings does that say just how much things have changed now what would have been the lowest rated show of the week is now the highest rated show does that say anything about how television has changed well, it's it's just there's so much more competition now. I mean, back then, three channels, you know, four maybe. But, uh, you know, now, God, hundreds. Granted, a lot of them are, are just straight up garbage that probably don't get, you know, a fraction of the views. But uh, uh, the simple fact that, uh, you know, major network can still pull in that kind of thing is kind of telling, especially when there's so much content that you can watch at your leisure, you can, you know, if you want to throw in a DVD, if you want to throw on streaming, uh, if you want to watch a movie on demand, if you want to uh, watch a Blu-ray, I mean, there's so many more options. It's funny to me that, uh, uh, you know, that people do still sit down at, okay, well, this show is going to start at eight o'clock. I have to sit down and start watching it at eight o'clock. I've got shows on my TiVo that I recorded years ago that I'm just now getting to watch. <laughs> well, speaking of that, yeah. and th this will go into what one of the big changes to television was. Speaking of that, you guys remember the old TV show Kolchak the Night Stalker, right? With Darren McGavin. It was the inspiration for the X-Files. Uh, I don't. It's I saw it on uh, syndicated on sci-fi. It's a fantastic <laughs> show. And it actually started with two TV movies, both written by Richard Matheson, of all people. First TV movie, The Night Stalker. And I don't think you could do this today with, as Cecil pointed out, how splintered everything has got. The Night Stalker TV movie, until the mid-1990s, was the most watched television program of all time. They estimated that 77% of all televisions in 1974 on that Friday night were watching the Night Stalker movie. When they mm. re-ran it a month later the ratings were up to 82% of all people watching television were watching this one movie on ABC. Do you think wow. you could do that today where you could get 80, 70 to 80% of the entire viewing audience watching a single program today? Was that more to there were only three channels or has it become, has it become so splintered that you just, you're never going to get a Night Stalker rating kind of thing again? It's going to happen again, though, this summer with uh, Sharknado 3. It, realistically, I, I don't foresee uh, outside of maybe the Super Bowl 
<laughs> uh, I don't it was really actually the Super Bowl was that was in the 90s the thing that broke Night Stalker. It was a Super Bowl, yeah. Well, that that makes sense because seriously, you know, I mean, it's that's one of those events that you get, you know, you know, millions and millions of people watching. the The thing is, though, there's a lot of people. Whereas with Kolchak the Night Stalker, you had millions of people in their homes sitting down watching this. Where now mm-hmm. with something like the Super Bowl, you get millions of people that have the television on in the background that are sitting around talking, drinking beer, and eating hot wings that aren't really watching the show. And I'd be willing to bet. More people probably uh, are watching the Super Bowl ads on like YouTube and stuff than mm-hmm. actually watching them during the Super Bowl. So all the people who the network executives that are like, oh, well, we've got, you know, 50 million people watching or whatever, <laughs> seeing the ads when they go live, they're seeing them, uh, you know, uh, the next day or, or whatever on YouTube. So I, I heard Peter must have gotten something from AdamandEve.com there. Yes, your butt plugs have shipped. When we're talking like a one channel and people sitting down and watching it and it getting ratings that way, I, I don't see that being possible nowadays. Um, back then, yes, if it was like, you know, a couple channels that, that people were watching and that's just how you would see TV shows back then, then yeah, I could see a, a show getting ratings that way. But now there's just, there's so many options. People will either TiVo it, or if they miss it, they'll go on Netflix, or they'll torrent it, or they'll go on YouTube, or they'll do this and that. I just, I don't see everybody sitting down all around the world or whatever and watching one thing at the same time with so many options available to see it. Other than, as, as Cecil was saying, the Super Bowl, but even with that, Nobody's really paying attention to it. And if it, most people, most stuff that people are watching are the ads. And if they want to watch them, they can easily watch them on YouTube or, or elsewhere. There's just so many different venues to watch TV now to where there's just no way that you can have those ridiculous ratings from just everybody sitting and watching it in unison at the same time when it comes on. Because again, as Cecil said, nobody needs to sit down and watch a show exactly when it starts. You can just TiVo it. You can record it. You can stream it. There's just so many different options now that there's just, there's, I just don't see it. There's, um, there's, there's no real reason for it. I think what actually started that whole trend was the video cassette recorder, or at that point, they were the VTR, video tape recorder. The VCR Mm -hmm. changed that. That was where the concept of, I'll watch this when I want to watch it, and I'll watch the commercials if I want to. Because do you guys remember back in 1984 when the Supreme Court actually made recording off of television illegal, and they Sony was sued for having the record option? Because... The argument from the TV networks was we spend all this money to air these things at this specific time with these commercials that you are stealing the programming by not watching it when we schedule it. And by not watching the commercials, you are – they use this term – a time burglar. You are stealing (laughs) our time from us by fast-forwarding through the commercials. That, I think, was the beginning of the big sea change. It is 1984, the third year of our persecution, O oh, my brothers, O oh, Betanauts and Betalogs and fellow members of the Betanese Liberation Front. And still they come, the gray men in the great coats, the storm troopers in their clod hopper, and the brown shirts, and the gray shirts in the brown coats. And still they seek us out and pick us off and cart away our gold finger and our roots and our great Muppet caper. 
Three years, oh my brothers, since the decision banning home video recording of TV shows was handed down by a three-judge panel, combined IQ 30, of the U.S. Court of Appeals in San Francisco. Three years since five million of us went underground with our Betamaxes, our VHSs, our blank tapes, our patch cords, our satellite dishes, and our Wismagidgets. Three years on horizontal hold. They staged another air raid last week, my brothers. They flew low over the subterranean cubicle in the dread bulk eraser plane. Another of those converted AWACs they never did send to Saudi Arabia. Their giant magnets swept our Betacombs, hoping to wipe away our fantasy islands, our Johnny Carsons, our masterpiece theaters, our Mr. Bills, our Richard Simmons shows, our Wizards of Oz's, and our Casablancas. The news is not good, oh my brothers. Comrade Joseph K. returned from the front yesterday and reported that the combined military forces of Walt Disney Productions and Universal Studios moved in with their dwarfs and their mice and their incredible hulks and let fly with the dread bulk erasers on a hidden vault of tape stored behind a piggly wiggly. There went 132 episodes of the Mary Tyler Moore Show up in a cloud of electrons. There was another speech on the radio today by Jack J. Valenti, president of the Motion Picture Association of America. He called for us to come out of hiding, carrying our tapes over our heads. He said the war against video liberation was costing the movie companies billions of dollars a year. Valente. We tried to kidnap the corporate imperialist lackey once before, but he was too short. We couldn't find him. Comrade Gunther Kay thinks he saw the top of Valente's head through the back window of his limousine. We will try again. Next time, we will bring a smaller laundry bag. The fight goes on. Only yesterday, Sister Henrietta Kay was charged with illegal time-shifting. She had been caught red-handed, setting her Betamax timer to record soap operas in the afternoon so she could watch them later that night when she got home. They not only confiscated her Betamax, they appropriated her Trinitron. Poor Henrietta was sentenced to three hours of hard labor a night, watching the network primetime schedule exactly as the network scheduled it, with no fast-forwarding through the commercials. And now we wait, oh my brothers, we wait for the terror from Hollywood, our nation's capital, to come again in the night. Even Mike Wallace is on our trail now. Creepy peepee cameras roam the countryside. The eyewitness news jet-propelled traffic copter scours the landscape. Comrade Hector Kay thinks he even saw Magnum P.I. casing the terrain in his Ferrari. Charlie's angels are hidden under the bed. Benny Hill is in the closet. The Ten Commandments are buried in the backyard. I have cleverly disguised a videotape of Fahrenheit 451 as a book. They only told us we could pursue happiness, oh my brothers. They never did say we could record it and play it back. Do you think VCRs are just the analog version of what we now have with the splintered audience of Netflix? As much as people make fun of videotapes nowadays and people who never really grew up in the VHS era, they don't realize just how liberating having a VCR was and saying, I have to work tonight. I'm going to record this program and I'll watch it tomorrow. Do you guys realize mm -hmm. just how liberating that actually was? Without, without the VCR, no TiVo. I want to be I want to be a time burglar. That sounds awesome. <laughs> it, it sounds yeah. like a it sounds like a really bad Michael Bay movie. Rated PG-13. <laughs> the movie starts at, the movie starts at the end and plays through the through to the beginning.
<laughs> Ooh, there we go. Rip off Memento. Uh, okay, so I guess you're discounting the first thing that ever did that, which was the China Beach episode where Ricky Lake had her back alley abortion, which was played backwards. And yes, that was a season before Seinfeld did it. And I, I, it pisses me off that Seinfeld gets all the credit for being innovative with this idea when China Beach did it a year earlier, but nobody noticed because China mm. Beach was a low-rated show. China Beach was a good show, though. China Beach was a, a fantastic show. Episodes. I used to, like that and uh, Call, not Call of Duty. Tour of, Dur- Tour of Duty. Tour of Duty. Uh, yeah, Tour of Duty was really good. Did, Tour of Duty, I think, only did like maybe one or two seasons. Three. Uh, Tour of Duty three. did three seasons. China Beach did four. And their fourth season is the one where they said, you know what? TV is here to be broken. Seriously, a lot of the innovative techniques that cable TV would later adopt were done in China Beach's fourth season first. Th- that, that entire season was experimental as hell. Because China mm. Beach is a show about Nam, right? Well, season yeah. four isn't well, about no, Nam. It was, oh, right, right, right. It, it was okay, Nam. I'm mixing it up. Yeah, it was, it was Vietnam. For a second there, I was like, I'm like, yeah, it was Nam. And season four took place in 1983. And all, all of the surviving characters having been back home, and then how the things in 1983 would trigger a flashback to something that happened in Nam. Gee, did Lost steal from that at all? <laughs> You know, they had the backwards episode. They had characters unexpectedly being killed. They they had they had people hallucinating characters that the viewer didn't realize didn't exist. Gee, Sixth Sense didn't take anything from that. Seriously, China Beach's fourth season is like if somebody let David Lynch loose on a Vietnam movie. I remember when the uh, all the networks were coming out against the uh, VCR saying that uh, you know now that people were going to be able to record shows and, and record television and watch them you know at their leisure that uh, that was going to bring down uh, the the networks and it was going to be the end and, and nobody and it was just all doom and gloom and then what happens nothing happened like like it, it continued yeah. onward and you know they adapted and I think that's one of the biggest problems is that whenever a new technology comes around be it streaming or BitTorrent or something the the first thing the studios do uh, is panic and you know get the lawyers on the case and they shut this down shut this down it's going we're going to lose money we're going and they never look at the bigger picture and see how something like this would uh, how they could turn it around and make it money the VCR actually opened up shows to new markets too i think it was 60 minutes did an undercover on the VHS bootleg market of the early 80s american mm-hmm. television shows just Two hours of TV taped off of American television was a major seller in communist countries. That it was the bootlegging scene was not that we're recording Hill Street Blues or the local news. These people have a hunger for things that they can't get. And the VCR changed all that. Is Netflix doing the same thing that the VCR did just on a slightly more legal level back in 1982? Well, I think what um, the equivalent to the VCR nowadays would be stuff like, you know, BitTorrents and, and seeing things on, on YouTube, maybe the slightly more illegal stuff. But yeah, Netflix is, is definitely contributing to that so people can go back and rewatch uh, or, or watch what they missed uh, having to go to work or just being busy. I remember having a, having a VCR. In fact, I remember having two. I have recorded TV shows and, and movies off of TV that I, I wasn't able to watch and I would be at I'd be at school, so I would ask uh, I'd ask my parents, can you record this? And uh, if, if I had to go somewhere, I would record that. 
I, I had heaps of, of, of just tapes of, of, uh, of shows and movies that uh, I, I would get with, with the VCR. And, and nowadays, it's, it's sort of the same thing with, with streaming and, and with torrents and with downloads. And it's totally um, spreading the word of these shows and, and these movies and everything to, again, uh, people that, that can't see them. Like the whole um, VHS bootlegs being great in communist countries. That totally still applies today. Because anybody that wants to see a movie that they can't legally see in their country or that isn't being shown. Don't even get me started on region coding. Yeah, exactly. So you have Mm -hmm. that option. People have that option where just like a a VHS uh, bootleg can get somebody to to see something they they can't see in their own country or a DVD that they can't get uh, regionally. They can download it. They can watch it. That that film, that movie, that song is spread to them and I and I think that's that's fucking amazing. It's it's doing nothing but good for that industry. And yeah, every every generation you have people that freak out over it like, "Oh, this is the the end of it. This is uh the, the all the corporations will crumble." No, it's it's going to get bigger because more people are going to hear it and see it, and that's fantastic. Where do you see this going? Do you see Netflix actually killing what we think of as television? Or do you think television, I mean, it's been around since the 40s. Do you think television is going to hang on a little while longer? Maybe they have to adapt. Maybe they have to change how they, maybe they have to change their business model. Do you see, say, 10, 15 years, but by, it's 2015 right now, by 2030, do you think over-the-air television will exist at all or will everything be streaming will everything be online is does television have a future at all the internet is already kind of becoming the new tv especially with if you look at youtube videos or just any kind of video that's up on right now you have ads very much like television ads in fact a lot of them are ads that you would see on tv so i think tv will continue i think we will still see television shows and networks they just need to, they're probably they're likely going to get a lot feistier they're going to fight for their place because there's a hell of a lot of competition but i think it, it will be something that continues to strive because there, while there are many people that watch uh, Netflix and that do streaming and that watch everything on the internet, there are also just as many people who feel comfortable with their networks, with watching uh, Showtime, HBO, Fox, like whatever, whatever's out there. They prefer to sit on their couch and watch it off the TV. I think it's something that will continue, but I'm, I'm sure down the line it is gonna, it is gonna change because they're gonna be competing. Um, it's going to have to adapt or die. I don't think that, uh, probably within our lifetime, I don't really see it going away. Um, maybe. Well, maybe not your lifetime, but I plan to live forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, possibly, uh, but I mean, definitely in like, I would say if we, in like 10 years, it's going to be significantly different because, uh, because of just the way that we consume television, uh, it's now just expected uh, that people aren't watching it the same way as they used to. You know, now people are watching it on their own time. They're watching it on a multitude of devices. Uh, they'll they'll start watching a show on the TV and then you know continue watching it on on the phone in the toilet. 
you know? So, and that's not a phone in the toilet. That's, you know, uh, on their phone while they are in the toilet. While they are, well, they're not in the toilet. Hopefully they're on the toilet. <laughs> well, yeah, well, okay, there we go. While they're <laughs> on the toilet. Yes. Well, I don't know. Who knows? Some people like crazy stuff. So but, are, are um, you trying to tell me that Max Headroom, which t- took place in 2014, was not an accurate depiction of what 2014 was going to be like as seen by 1987? <laughs> uh, I think that they, they got a lot of things right, as we've talked about before. You know, the the 24-hour news channels, actually, God, the 24-hour channels. They predicted in, in fact, reality I, TV, blipverts. Blipverts. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Wackets were not that far off. Yeah, I, I could see. I mean, I, I think that uh, the the only thing that they really got wrong was just the size of televisions. You know, they still were going off of the CRTs as opposed to now. Uh, the, the, you know, they got... had little wristwatch TVs though. Edison had one. That Edison is, did yeah, have okay. a wrist, wristwatch TV, so there's that. Eh, there was that, but I mean, that was kind of a that was also uh, a bit of a Dick Tracy thing too. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, they but they predicted a ton of stuff. So, uh, but definitely, my whole thing is that d- m- television is going to have to adapt, and the cable networks already have, but the major over-the-air networks are going to have to figure something out, or they're just going to d- not exist anymore. Well, mm. speaking of someone that's about to not exist anymore, Cecil T. Robot, where can people find you? I don't know why you're not going to exist anymore, but I I, I was just, just going <laughs> to say, I'm like. What did I do? Well, I'm not threatening you. He's a time burglar. Uh, Yeah, you're a time burglar. (laughs) Hey, hey, they've got that that new program where if you turn in software thieves, you can get money. I'm turning your ass in. I don't even know if you've done anything, but I'm Uh, I don't know. I don't know. The statute of limitations, I think, is up on that. I don't care. You're a time burglar nonetheless. I am a time burglar. I'd (laughs) rather be that than a turd burglar. Well, uh, but yeah, you're the kind of person that goes in the toilet. <laughs> yeah, I'm standing in the toilet right now. <laughs> um, you can find me at uh, goodbadflicks.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com and on the YouTubes and the Twitters and all over that fancy interwebs. I'm out and about. Where can people find you uh, whipping away the pain? You you can find pain me. Pain is the cleanser. Standing. Pain is the cleanser. You can find me standing inside of the toilet, just time burgling away on Twitter at Zinematica. so dirty like that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I hope you're wearing shoes. Or waiters. <laughs> of course not. Or waiters. Yeah, flippers I, I, just I, standing in the toilet. Wearing flippers in the toilet, time burgling also on Facebook, the Cinemasochist, YouTube, the Cinemasochist, and I will be time burglaring my way onto 1201beyond.com. You can watch and listen to many things on the 1201beyond.com network. We're not actually a network. We're just kind of a loose conglomeration of assholes that kind of get together once a week. But hey, come on, I've I'm, I'm got to be honest, right? Yeah. Right, so 1201beyond.com, you can get T-shirts, click on some ads. We've got new ads coming, much more relevant ads. You're going to see some ads for 123 posters and some comic book ads, and you're going you're gonna to see some much more relevant ads instead of those e-cigs popping up very shortly. So click on some links, <laughs> go to Adam and Eve because Peter needs his butt, his butt toys, and you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Have That's a good right. night, guys. And remember, you can listen to this show whenever you want. You're not on a schedule. He's a really cool invention to be in the third dimension. I'm gonna move, I'm gonna zoom right into your living room. 
Radio Drone is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.